Happy Friday, people. All right, we are back with free episodes because the Spotify subscription is way too hard for people to do because they can't even put their card information for in for one because it's an international charge because Spotify is based out of like Sweden or something. And then once you pay, it's really hard to figure out how to get access to the, the episodes. And then it took me a million years to even figure out how to get an episode specifically on the subscription last week or whenever that was. So that was not last week. So... We're just doing it for free because I don't care that much. I'd rather just give it to you. So this episode is, I don't even really know what to call it. I haven't thought of a title for it yet. So whatever I come up with, hopefully it made sense. Um, but I just went out, I went to my subscriber chat and I was like, hey, Savannah's coming over. We're going to record a podcast. What do you want to talk about? And people threw different ideas at me. And I realized that they kind of piggyback off each other. So we kind of just strung together like four separate topics to make an episode. And I wish we had more time. We started at like 4.30 and I had clients coming at 6 for group training. So we kind of had to hustle through, especially at the end. And I wish that we had more time to talk about that in particular. So we might come back and do a part two if you want us to send me a message. And if I get a lot of people demanding a part two, then I will definitely do it. Um, but basically I got Maven, my puppy, my English setter puppy, uh, this past weekend. She hasn't even been here for a week yet. And I didn't really want to do a full Maven episode yet because I barely know the gal. Um, but my subscribers said they wanted to talk more about field trials. Cause last time I went to a field trial mid April, I did like a really in-depth story series about the process and they really enjoyed that. So they wanted me to go in more in depth on that. Um, But they also wanted to hear about Maven and they also wanted to hear about like how I switched gears from, you know, like what my falling out of love with Schutzen looked like. And then on top of that, somebody also wanted to talk about like finding the right activity for you and your dog, but also like how do you get how do you get into something and know you want to be there and then find a dog to do that thing? Like those two things together, not only finding the activity and getting involved, but then finding a dog that's going to do well at that. How do you do that? And Savannah and I had actually been talking about that yesterday prior to that coming up in the subscriber chat. So it was really, really good timing. Um, Savannah has been off and on considering a second dog and it's something that comes up quite a bit in our conversations. And we had a really good conversation yesterday about like really like trying to dial down and find something that she wants to do because her, her taste in in dogs varies so much because at this point she has no real like specific thing that she wants to do. So she's like interested in a little of everything. And then that makes her pick very random dogs. And so, um, We had a conversation about that, and that's the part that I really wish we could dive into a little bit more. So if you want to hear more about those, my thought process on that, um, let me know, and we'll make sure that we do a a part two to this. So it's kind of hodgepodgey, but all of those suggestions really kind of piggybacked off each other. If we really talk about my journey of falling out of love with Schutzen, being more interested in field trials, getting a puppy, and then, you know, tying it all together with this, this concept of how do you do that? Um, so that's that. Um, 
I don't really have much to plug. I don't really have anything big coming up, but as always, I have my subscription uh, Instagram going. If you're not familiar with how that works, you go to my website, you sign up on my Square. It's an automatic payment deal. You pay five bucks, and then you go to the specific Instagram. Instagram has a subscription option, but I can't access it until I have 10,000 followers, and it's going to be a long time before I get 10,000 followers. So I basically just made a separate account that's private and you only get to access it if you pay me. (laughs) So you go to my website, you pay five bucks, you get access to this. There's a group chat there. I post on my stories pretty, pretty consistently. And then I often go live, um, and talk about just more in depth. So it's almost like you get a bonus podcast and right now, majority of the content is about Maven, um, and she's not doing a whole lot because it's her first week here, but you know, soon she's going to get into more training and, and stuff. So if you want like a more in-depth uh, point of view of that experience, you know, on my, on my other account, my public account, I'm going to post stuff, but I'm not really going to talk about what I'm doing with her. And I will put that on my subscription service. And so if you want to hear more about like the why I'm doing what I'm doing and you want to see what it looks like to raise a bird dog and a trial dog. Um, And there's other content on there too. It's not just Maven. I post videos from training sessions um, with clients and like from my seminar, I have a ton of content that I need to upload from my seminar still. So you get behind the scenes access. And if you're out of state, it's really great because you get to see a lot of videos of me actually coaching people and not just writing a caption on something. Um, but you actually get to witness me interacting with clients and their dogs. And so it's a really awesome thing. Um, there's like, there's a little over 40 people in there now, which makes it really exciting. We have a group chat. We talk almost every day and sometimes it's like cool, important stuff. Other times we're just shooting the shit. We're just talking about our dogs and dogs in general and sharing funny videos and pictures of our dogs. Um, and just getting to know each other. And so it's really fun. And there are a lot of people in there that are just lurkers. Lurkers are more than welcome. You don't have to be active in the group chat if you just want to watch it. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff going on over there and it's growing and it's really interesting. And I, I like being able to provide this service and there's people from all different kind of corners of dog world in there. So we've got that. The other thing that I don't really talk about a whole lot that is an option if you are an out-of-state person and you don't mind a little bit of a road trip, or even if you're in-state but you're just not close enough that you can come regularly to training, um, I offer what I call a bonus weekend. So normally for group training, I train on Thursday nights, Friday mornings, and Sunday mornings. A bonus weekend I'll throw a Saturday in there. And the way that it works is if you live out of state and you want to come train with me and you want to come up for a weekend, you don't have to come up on Thursday or Friday, but if you want to come up and you want to be here for a weekend, it you would have a whole day of Saturday to do whatever, you know, I wouldn't be available. But on a bonus weekend, I will make myself available. So that way, if you want to come in from out of state, you can get four days of training if you want. You don't have to, but you could at least get a Saturday, Sunday in. And so all you have to do for that, last year I tried to do um, like set dates and that just didn't really work very well. All you have to do is send me a message and say, hey, I live wherever. I want to come to you for training. 
here are some dates that work for me, some weekends that work for me. Do any of those work for you? And we coordinate our schedules. We find a weekend that works for both of us. And most weekends work for me. And then I tell my people, hey, I'm throwing a Saturday up. If anyone wants to come, this is a bonus weekend. So I just deem that weekend that you're coming a bonus weekend. And then I put it out to everybody. So if anyone else is out of town and wants to come up, they certainly can. Um, But I tell all my locals and my regulars, hey, if you want to train on Saturday, we've got a bonus weekend. So we just talk. That's all you got to do. And the price is the same price as, as training normally is. Um, and those details are all on my website. If you want to know what group training even is, it's all on my website. Um, so that's an option. If you want to come up for training, and summer's a great time to do that. There's lots of cool campgrounds around uh, my place. There's also a handful of dog-friendly um, Airbnbs or whatever they, those other companies are called. Um, and there's some dog-friendly hotels uh, nearby as well. And there's just, there's cool stuff to do around here, even if you don't train, because we won't train all stinking day, but um, there's places to hike and, and stuff. Minnesota's awesome. So if you want to come up here, just shoot me a message. This is getting really long, probably the longest intro I've ever done. So let's get to it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll learn how to spell Shipman. Oh. Or, <gasps> oh my God. She heard me say it. That was Biggie. That was kind of weird. He might be yelling at Brew. I'm not sure. Well, we've been recording that entire time, so. Fuck. Um, I think I'm an idiot. Okay. They're right. Anyway. Um, I got a puppy. No one knew that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say no one cared. Oh. <laughs> that fair. too. That's fair also. No, you've been keeping it so low-key and hidden. Yeah. You got a puppy. Your name is Maven. This is the kind of Maven episode. I don't really want to do a full Maven episode. I can't do a full Maven episode now because I barely know the gal. Yeah, she's just some bitch. I got her. It's now Thursday, and she only came home on Sunday. Also, Bauer almost died, but I think everybody knows that. He is now alive. He's only had solid poops, exclusively solid poops. He ate a full meal of not bland diet today, and so far so good. I did not put him back on the food that he was on before I bought him, the old kind. So, he's okay. He's upset that he cannot be inside of Savannah's skin, but he's okay. Um, so, by request, this episode is going to be... It's like the perfect tangent episode. Like the request was that we go on a million tangents. Yes. Starting with field trialing. Then why did you get out of... There are so many flies in my house. All of a sudden I thought it was one fly and now I see them all in one place. I need to close all my windows. Is there a dead body in here? No, it's just I opened my windows for the first time in weeks. Um. Why did you... Field trials, why did you get out of Schutzen? Um, talk about Maven a little bit. And how do you pick the right thing to get into with dogs? So. Which is very timely because we had pretty much this same conversation. But yeah, about me earlier today. Yeah, we did. Um, I don't know where I should start. Should I just talk about 
maybe Schutzen, because I guess that's the beginning of the journey. I think so. Okay, so I wanted to get into Schutzen because it looked cool. So I got dogs. What about do it looked cool to you? Hard hits, parking. <laughs> I used to watch like hard hit compilations on YouTube for fucking hours. And it just looked it just looked really cool. It just looked really powerful. It just looked really like I liked it initially for the same reasons that I would say like most young people are attracted to protection sports initially because it's just flashy and intense. And so I got my two shepherds and I didn't get involved with the club right away, which pot like asterisks to that to come back to later. Um for the other side of this conversation because I just got the puppy and I didn't really think about anything else. And then somebody reached out to me. Well, actually what it was is I knew of a guy that was a, that did Mondio ring with his Malinois here in the, well, in the Twin Cities. And he worked for Canine Coach at the time. And he posted a shepherd on his Instagram story and I was like, oh, who's that? Like a little puppy. I was like, I'm getting one just like that. That was like the first time that I ever talked to him. And it was Norma, Justice Dog. Mm -hmm. And so he was telling me about her. And then, so we just got to talking. And I was like, yeah, I'm getting a German Shepherd. And he talked me into trying Mondio. Not like he really had to convince me, but like he just told me he liked it better. And he was like, well, I'll come out and I'll meet her. And like, we can just kind of talk about Mondio ring, whatever. So he came out to my facility and met Kazi. And I like had just gotten her brand new and she was your first like pure yeah for like a a reason Mm -hmm. yeah um and so then it just turned into like then somebody that I used to work with was like I know these people that just moved back they used to live in they used to live in Minnesota but then they moved to Utah and now they're back and they have Malinois and you should meet up and so we met up with them and then Jess started coming, and then, well, I don't think it even was even in that order, but, like, then people just started coming, we formed this little club, and all of a sudden, I was doing Mondio Ring. And the people that were helping me, like, the little club that we formed, they're all, like, good people individually and good trainers individually, but we were just so underprepared to create a club, and I think that they were kind of un- underprepared to, like, really go out on their own and branch away from the people that helped them, and then on top of it, they had a brand new person that had like no understanding of the sport because I had been mentally preparing for Schutzen the entire time. Mm. And then also an off-breed in the sport. And so I spent like Kazi's first two-ish years doing that. And that's kind of why her foundation was kind of poor, just because it was a lot of like trying to figure it out instead of just knowing how to do it. And, like, the people that were helping me were good trainers, but also, like, in a club format like that, it was very much like, okay, you go do your own thing and you let us know if you need help and we'll just sit over here. And that was fun for a little bit, but then when I was like, okay, I actually don't know what I'm doing. I needed somebody to, like, hold my hand through the entire process. And all of them, all of, like, the main people had been in it for a few years at least at that point, or at least a couple years. And had that kind of like a really structured club to guide them Mm -hmm. but I never had that and so my foundation with kamikaze was just poor and then it wasn't until after covid like June of 2020 is when I actually decided to switch to Schutzen and started working with Stefan and actually really got into it 
Well, I, I shouldn't say that I really got into it. Like comparatively, I did not really get into it. So why did, sorry to interrupt, but why did you choose to make the switch versus finding? Because there's nobody around. Okay. Like there's just not a lot of people. There's not a lot of clubs in Minnesota there and everybody in Mondio ring in Minnesota kind of knows each other. And at the time, like there's a cool club now that's kind of like a branch off, um, of the main one, but at the time there was just one main club mm. and then our club was like the branch off and it was like full, but there were also some trout, like some problems there that I didn't really want to get involved with. I didn't really want to train with like a big club that I was just going to be like, cause our club was so close knit and fun. Like it was like, it was like group training in a day day. Yeah. Where it was like the thing we all looked forward to, and we'd be there literally all day Sunday, and we'd drink together and all that. Um, it was a blast. So I didn't really want to. I didn't really want to switch gears until all of a sudden I was like, our club's not getting together for because of COVID, but also this isn't really the direction that I want to keep going in. Mm-hmm. So then I started training with Stefan, and I got like it. It went really well, and my my dogs improved, but. At that point, Kamikaze's foundation was just not great. That it was like, I really had to make a decision if I'm going to go. And then after I trialed for her BH, I really saw the gaps. Like, you can't, you don't really see the gaps in training, but you see it in your, in your trial. Mm. And that's when I was like, okay, if you're going to do this, you have to like really do it. Because you, there's some backpedaling that needs to be done on her. Like, I need to fix some mistakes. Did you pass right away? Yes. Okay. So... But it was, I wasn't really happy with my performance. Got it. So that combined with the fact that I was also like smack dab in the middle of my breeder drama. Mm-hmm. Where I really, really, really did not want to be associated with her. Um, and continuing to participate in Schutzen was is really the only place where... Is it time to be real? Yeah. Are you be real in my fireplace? Yeah. Oh. It's so ugly. And my printer and my random basket of hats and scarves. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> when, before Savannah got here, I sent her a disclaimer text and I said, my house is currently in. She has a new puppy. Her dog almost died. And it's summer, so she's outside all day not tending to her house mode. So beware. But um, so anyways, I really didn't want to be... And still don't want to be associated with the breeder. And the only circle that I am associated with her in where, like, it comes up is in Schutzen. And so because my dogs, because the way German Shepherds work, my dogs' registered names have the kennel name. So Mm -hmm. people know immediately who I got my dogs from. And, like, when I trialed for my BH, I'm like, the trainer that I trained with, Stefan, he's definitely, like, a love him or hate him kind of guy. And, like, you're not really like, nah, he's okay. You're like, you either, you're on one side because he's just like a very, he knows who he is. He knows what he likes. He knows what he's doing and he's not afraid to just disagree with people. Mm -hmm. And so you either like that or you don't like that about him. And the club that I trialed with, the judge was not a part of that club. They brought the judge in, but the judge knows, the judge knows people. But the club that I tra- trialed with is not a fan of Stefan. And the judge knew who my breeder was. So on top of so I had like two things going against me. Now, I stand by my trainer. I am loyal to that. I will proudly say who I trained with. But 
I, I walk onto the field knowing that people are looking at me with a certain eye mm -hmm. because I know those people in particular don't care for him. And it would be fine if it was just that because I'm proud of the work that I've done with him yeah. and I'm proud of my association with him. But I'm not proud of my association with Merrick. So I have like two knocks kind of against me. And then on top of it, my dog did poorly. Like we passed, but it was not pretty. It was not mm -hmm. the picture that you see online. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't proud of it. And so I felt like I really just look like a fool and I don't I'm sure nobody well that's not true it shuts I'm sure they all felt it but um I just felt silly you know and like it was fine I'm I it's not like I went home and I was like really I wasn't holding on to that I was really just holding on to the fact that the performance didn't look the way that I wanted it to yeah. but it was just the additional like it's almost not even worth it unless I know for damn sure my dog is going to pull through and do what she needs to do and because her foundation is so poor I don't think she's going to and so I could, if I was more dedicated to it, I could continue and I could work my butt off and I could get her where she needs to be because she is a decent dog. And it's not like I totally ruined her, but I just don't want to for all the other reasons. Like I don't want to work that hard at it. I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. I'm not even trying to prove it to myself. Like, I own her. I live with her every day. I, mm -hmm. I handle her every day. I know she's a really nice dog. Her training is really impeccable for just, like, being my dog. I'm happy with that. Like, I don't need to prove anything to myself about mm -hmm. Schutzen. But Schutzen is just so competitive that, like, if you're not going to walk out there and feel super, super confident in what you're doing, or at the very least have the attitude of, like, I don't fucking care if we pass or fail. I'm just trying to have fun with my dog. And I don't have that. <laughs> like, I don't have that. I'm not out there to just have fun. Yeah. I want to do well. Yeah. And I envy people that can do that. And the other, like, petty side of me is I just don't want to, like, I don't want any of my work that I put onto my dogs to better the name of that kennel. Got it. And that's petty. I think so, I just considering what you went through because yeah, of her. Yeah. And so I just like, yeah, I just, I'm not into it enough to be okay with that particular piece of it. You know, like if it was really, if I was really strongly, um, passionate about it still, then the achievement would just feel like my achievement. Mm -hmm. But I'm glad I tried for my BH. I don't really like talk a whole lot. I don't really use it as like a, measure of my ability because it wasn't really a performance I was proud of like I almost wish I could have told the judge like never mind <laughs> can you just keep that I don't want I don't I don't feel like that earns it but the thing is this like what a BH is I did I just yeah. didn't do the extra credit basically got it or I guess Kazi didn't I was just walking around <laughs> but like we didn't do the extra credit to make it look the way that I wanted it to. Um, so that's why I ended up falling out of love with it. It's just like, it's a really challenging community because it's so competitive and it's so old. It's been around forever. Um, and there are just some changes to the sport that are being made like rule wise that are just kind of getting lame. And there's just so many, there's so many politics in it and there's going to be politics and drama in any area of dog world but 
it's really bad in protection sports and it's bad enough that I don't want to like play just for fun and deal with it you know tell me more about like the interpersonal stuff people are just extremely catty Mm -hmm. like videos get shared around like you you'll hear all the time of like people getting a video back of their dogs handling and somebody didn't know that the person was recording and they're talking shit on the sidelines of the dog in the video. Um, Or people are taking videos and, you know, sending them around and nitpicking the little things. Because it's really, like, the whole purpose of the sport is to show the character of the dog. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really easy to pick apart dogs. If they don't do it, you know, if they don't bark a certain way, if they don't heal a certain way, if they get a little bit, you know, like, God forbid a dog slip a grip or something like that. Like, there's a lot, there's a lot of places where your dog can show poorly, and if the wrong person gets a hold of that, it'll turn into a whole thing. Even if it's like, even if you're kind of a nobody, somebody is on the sidelines talking shit about your dog. And it's just so practiced in that community that it doesn't even feel wrong. So it's, yeah, I just don't, and that's the thing, like, I don't want to walk out on the field and try to do well, knowing that there's people on the sidelines thinking that way. And the thing is, and I know it happens because I also kind of do it, you know, like if I'm looking at a dog and I'm seeing the performance, especially like when I was at that club, a lot of the dogs that I watched trial, they went to that club. Like, they train on that field with that helper every day, and they train poorly, and I judge them based on that, you know? So, I think there's birds making nests under my... Because they keep, like, fluttering right up under there. But anyway, so it's just, like... And then, because it's so competitive that, like, there's bias towards certain people and certain dogs, and it's, like, the people that are at the top are kind of always at the top, and... It's just weird. And everybody knows everybody because it's a kind of tight-knit community, especially in certain areas. But, And that's true for all things. But it's just so much that if I'm not, like, head over heels obsessed with it, I'm not going to fuck around with it. So when you decided to walk away from it, what did that feel like? Did you feel like... Well, it was kind of forced on me because my trainer moved across the country. Yeah, that'll do it. I don't think I would. If he still lived here, I'd still go. Okay. I probably just wouldn't compete. Okay. But, like, I like working my dogs, and I liked going out there. I really enjoyed... It was like... Like, I kind of modeled my group training off of that kind of style, like the mm-hmm. the format. His was a little bit different. It depended on who was there that day, you know? But, like, you would get to know the people that were going on. You know, I'd go, like, every Wednesday in the morning. Yeah. And... So I knew the people that came on Wednesdays, and you'd get to know people, and um, people would come in from out of town to train with him, and so you'd get to know them, and I trained with him for two years, so I saw a couple people from, like, I got to know a couple people from out of town that would come up every couple months or so, so it was really fun, and I just liked being out there. It was like, he had a really nice, well, it was nicer than my pole barn, but it was just kind of a barn. It was insulated and stuff, but, like... It was his yard was really pretty and and flat and nice and he took really good care of it because he was training on it, mm-hmm. and so if you were out there in the mornings it was, you know, it was you were just out in the country, and it was just pretty and nice, and so like there were times where I was going twice a week, 
was paying $150 a week just to fuck around just because I liked going out there. So, and it was, re- it's really nice to like go somewhere and not be the dog trainer. Yeah. That was like the best part for me. It's like, I get to go and just be a student and I get to just hang out with my dogs and somebody tells me what to do and I go home and I didn't have to work that hard. So I really enjoyed it and I did my BH just because why not? But I really didn't care that much about it. I just, people were like, you should do it. You should just do it. Why wouldn't you do it? And then I got kind of hyped up into it. Mm-hmm. That was part of the reason why I was so bummed that it didn't go well. Cause I was like, I should have known if I would have thought about this, I was not ready for that. I didn't that. even want to do this. I didn't even want to do this. People just told me I should do it and I passed, but it's like, I, sh- I showed my dog. Yeah. So. And I'm not even really, honestly, that competitive of a, of a person. I just know how people talk about dogs. What did Stefan say about your performance? He didn't see it. Mm. I'm sure he heard. I told him a little bit. And he basically just kind of told me that I fucked up by the what, what I was doing with her e-collar. Mm. By being like, by testing it too much. But... I don't think he really, like when he said, yes, you're ready to go for your BH, he wasn't lying because he has put enough BHs on dogs to know that it doesn't really take that much to pass, I'm sure. But I'm sure if I asked him if I was ready for my one, he would have laughed in my face. He wouldn't lie to me, but I'm sure he wasn't really that surprised because <laughs> I was never really like super into it until all of a sudden I was like, I want to try out for my BH. And he was like, oh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All of a sudden, now you want to be competitive. But it was just because people hyped me up. So when you lost that, when he moved, did you, like, did you feel like you needed to find something else? Or were you like, I'm going to take a break from dog sports? No, to both of those. I didn't, like, it wasn't like a conscious decision to take a break. I just, because I wasn't, I didn't even really feel like I was doing a sport because I wasn't really working on it to be competitive. I was just doing it because I liked doing it and my dogs liked doing it. Um, I haven't felt like I need to do something with my dogs in probably like five years. The only other dog I feel that way is like with Bauer. Like with Bauer, I feel some pressure to like do stuff. Um, But that's a little bit different. But I've also let go of some of that. But otherwise, no, I was just like, well, I was bummed that I didn't have, like, my thing, like, my hobby, my little, like, side day. It was, like, my little getaway, basically. Mm -hmm. So I was more bummed about that than anything else. But, no, I never really. I considered, like, because, like, other people that I know trained with him started doing different types of things, too, just to keep themselves busy and find stuff. Like... One of them recently started training for AKC obedience with her dog. And the thing is, like, Schutzen obedience is going to get you pretty far. Um, there's certain small differences, I think. And I don't know a lot about AKC obedience, but, like, like I could probably do pretty well in rally because I have a pretty high level of obedience on my dog already. Just mm-hmm. like her pet dog obedience is better than most people's rally performances. Yeah. So, um, but I just like, I don't want to be, like, I don't want to be in that atmosphere. I'm not really interested in going and sitting at a trial somewhere all day for something like that. I don't really want to talk to people that do those things. 
my friends, different. You know, like, I'd hang out with my friends, but, like, I don't really want to be around a bunch of sport people. It's just not my style. So, tell me how field trials are different. Because it's about, it's more about, like, the dogs. It's more instinct-based, and the and it's about breeding more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about hunting. So it's not really, like, one time somebody on my, like, anonymous Q&As was like, how can you call yourself a dog, not a dog sport person when you do Schutzen in field trials? And I was like, I don't do Schutzen. I play Schutzen with my dog. Like, I pretend. <laughs> yeah, right. I pay $150 a week to just, like, run around for fun and have somebody tell me what to do so that I can just feel like... I'm doing something, but I'm not, I don't have to, like, I shut my brain off. Like, that was the best part about it. Mm -hmm. I paid $150 to shut my brain off and only focus on being there. And so, but field trials, that's, it's like, technically it's a sport because technically it's a competition, Mm -hmm. but it is not a sport in the sense that, like, dog sports are sports. Um... You're proving your dog. You're proving... Like, not everybody treats it like a a breed suitability test, but that's essentially what it is. Um, It's more competitive because there's more factors you can't control. Like, we... Our trials are on wild birds, so we have entire weekends where we don't see a single fucking bird. And it's really hard to show your dog well when you can't find a fucking bird. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not even that your dog can't find birds, it's that nobody's finding birds. And there's just like, there's a lot of, I would say there's more like, I don't wanna say something stupid. I would say that there's more like technique than there is training. Because they all, everybody has to train for this. Everybody has to train for the same thing. And everybody does it just about the same way. Mm-hmm. Like in other dog sports, there's probably like 50 different ways to teach your dog how to heal. Yeah. Or like, you know, different little like flares that you can put on a technique. But for the most part, like to break a dog out on birds, everybody, there's maybe like 10 I'm just making, I'm just pulling a number. I'm just trying to show like a comparison Mm -hmm. 50 versus 10. It might not really be 10. There could be 20. Kyle might hear me say 10 and be like, no, but it's just like comparatively, it's a much smaller number of different ways that people really do it. And so you kind of go through the motions the same way. Everybody's kind of on the same journey. You go on kind of the same time frame as far as like when your dog is born, it's all based on age. It's not based on like passing a level and moving up it's like if your dog is two then you're well if your dog is under two then you're a derby why are you smirking at me i'm just thinking about um people putting their dogs on birds too early oh too much pressure yes in the winter so (laughs) so but then it's like once your dog is past that then they're shooting dogs like everybody's kind of on the same time frame and you know, depending on when they got their dog, of course. So 
Every, but so everybody like kind of goes through the same training motions mm-hmm. and then obviously how well they do it is going to show, you know, if, if you are really bad at breaking your dog out, if you're just like a bad handler and a bad trainer in general, you're going to struggle, but that's, you're probably struggling with other things besides just breaking your dog out. You just don't understand dogs, but like, it's not uncommon for even like amateurs to send their dogs away to pros and then they just get their dog back trained and then they just go do the field trial. And people don't start their dogs late, right? Like nobody's going to start their dog at you can. years old. I mean, you, you really, I mean, you can. Technically, there's nothing saying you can't. But like if a dog has spent three years of its life just being like a hunting companion and you didn't focus on breaking them out and they've gotten to bust birds for three years, it's so much harder to break them out. And then because shooting dog, like there's puppy when they're little, like under 15 months, derby when they're literally, I don't know what the the minimum is. I don't know if they even wrote one because why would you run anything besides like a year old dog in a, in a derby? And so maybe like nine months in a derby, depending on the dog, if the dog is like really, like there's a dog in our club right now that they just ran her puppy a couple weekends, ran her and her first puppy a couple weekends ago and she did really well. So they're like, oh, maybe she's actually ready for derbies. And she's like 10 months or she was then, but they weren't gonna put her in a derby. They were gonna keep her in puppies for a while. And so, but like, what the fuck was I talking about? age range for derbies starting late in life right so yeah you can't go back I can't have a five year old dog that I'm like oh I've never done this before let me start at the puppy level you can't run a five year old dog as a puppy oh that's what I was saying so then derby is up to about two years it goes up when they were born and like in the year Mm -hmm. and it it confuses me it Kyle gets frustrated that it confuses me because it doesn't confuse him and it seems like it should make perfect sense and then when I look at it I'm like that should make perfect sense to me but it doesn't because it's not just like a two once they turn two it's like they need like it's like you know how if you like were born late then you start school late or some shit yeah. like that it's kind of like that so anyway, roughly two but so then after two you're a shooting dog for the rest of your life and so to come in with a dog that's three, that's been busting birds its entire life, and you do your best, but it's going to be really challenging, but then you're going to go and compete against dogs that have been doing this literally their entire lives because mm-hmm. they started the whole process. So they're, they're just really wise to the whole game, and the, the handler knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But also you could be competing against. That's why it's so hard. Like, Easy probably won't have a lot of placements like he did when he was a derby, not because he's a bad dog, He's just competing against dogs that have been doing this for seven years. Mm-hmm. And so he he runs really well, but he's just, there's going to be dogs that are outrunning him because they're just more experienced. They're more he's mature. Yeah. yeah. So, but so it's just really hard. It's just much more, much more competitive because you're, that's where you're going to be forever. Mm-hmm. That's the end goal. Like puppy and derby is literally just like judging, does this dog have the potential to be a shooting dog? That's why they're really short kind of parts of your dog's life is because it's mainly just to like, it's almost like a two year long aptitude test. So they really just want to see if you can move forward there. So yeah, most people won't go backwards. But like if you had like a, a one and a half year old dog, you could start as a derby because there's no expectation that your dog is broke and it's way easier to get a dog that 
and that phase of its life broke. Um, so really like everybody's kind of going through the same thing and the rest of it is, does your dog have the traits it needs to be successful? And then do you know how to show your dog? Mm -hmm. So there's differences in like a good handler versus a, a bad handler in my particular point of view is going to have different traits that not that don't have anything to do with how good of a dog trainer they are they could be really really good at training dogs and like they really broke their dog out well and their dog stands birds and all that but they don't handle their dog well and they don't show their dog well in a trial and so I, that's why i think it's more technique than training because mm -hmm. honestly and i this is where i'm gonna say stuff like i sound like i'm talking out of my ass because i've never done it before but i feel like it's kind of pretty straightforward you've been around yeah I've been around but I also am a dog trainer yeah like that's like the last time we had on our other podcast episode I was joking about like breaking out a dog just being like a really really solid stance day mm -hmm. and they were like no I'm like yeah <laughs> it still is it's like a long down in Schutzen just yeah. standing a long down in Schutzen your dog is like I forget the measurement but like down the field from you not attached to anything you're not even looking at them and the other person is doing their entire obedience routine so mm -hmm. for like 10-15 minutes they're watching a dog like run into front run and heel like all kinds of stuff and your dog's supposed to just stay in that down oh lewis is just running late um so it's different it's a lot different and I'm I like that style of something to do with a dog because there's less I don't want to say there's less work but there le there's less like different work like in Schutzen there's like healing there's positions out of motion there's retrieves there's hurdles there's A-frame, there's all the aspects, like all the little uh, mm -hmm. exercises and protection work, there's tracking, like there's just so many little things that you have to do and they all tie in together and you have to be super, super disciplined with all of them and that just doesn't work for me. Um, like I literally never tracked with kamikaze. I was never getting up at like 5 a.m. to go lay tracks for my dog. So doesn't she have her... Yeah, but it's a completely different style of tracking. I'm talking about Schutzen tracking. Yeah, but I, I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, she has her UBT1, and that was just, like, on a whim because somebody didn't show up, and I was like, can I run my dog? And they were like, sure. So, and I didn't pay for either of my tests because somebody else canceled on the first day, so I don't have to pay for it. So I just used two people's spots. Or maybe I did pay. I don't remember. So... I just I wasn't disciplined enough for it. It was too much little stuff, and I just didn't I didn't have what I needed to be good at that, and I wasn't gonna like be butthurt about it and try to force myself to be good at it because I just didn't have it. It also seems like from an outside perspective, field trialing feels more like working with your dog. Like yeah. Schutzen, obviously you're you have to build a relationship with your yeah. dog, and like you're dog has to trust you and you have to trust your dog to do those things yeah but I feel like there's a different kind of degree of control in field trials where like you're working 
way far from your dog where you can't yeah. even see them sometimes yeah. and you're relying on these like patterns of behavior that you've worked in yeah. the woods beforehand yeah and even things like listening to specific like bell and like yeah we were talking about did we talk about this in the last podcast or something else where like the different way that the bell rings like is like you like oh, learn my like, story on the subscribers yeah yeah you like learn to figure out yeah what the dog's doing yeah and it's yeah I like that aspect of it because I mean don't get me wrong it's really challenging to stay super engaged with your dog even when they're literally right next to you Mm -hmm. and that is a huge aspect of why Schutzen is challenging in general just like at a baseline Mm -hmm. that your dog is completely off leash in front of like the most exciting thing that they've ever seen in their entire lives Mm -hmm. and you have to try to keep them under control um but it's, yeah, it's a, just a new kind of challenge for me personally to have a connection with a dog that's 200 yards away from me in the woods. Yeah. Um, and I just find that really interesting. And until I had easy, I've never had a dog like that. Like, I've never had a dog that would ever even touch 200 yards. And, well, Bauer. But I didn't, I wasn't letting him off leash but before I met easy really. Mm-hmm. But... And I wasn't comfortable with it. And now it's, like, a completely different experience. Like, I'm so comfortable knowing that my dog, especially Easy, because I just trust Easy. I know him really well, and I know that he's not going to run away. He's just either stuck somewhere, like, he can't figure out how to get back, or he's hunting, or what. but he's going to figure out how to come back. Mm -hmm. And so it's given me, like, a... It's just given me a lot more comfortability with dogs in general because it it forces you to be okay with them not being right next to you and I just think that's really interesting and I think the handling and that's where the technique comes in because you really have to know you really have to know the courses you have to know what to expect like I think about there have been a handful of times where I've been walking a brace and I've just been a spectator I'm just in the gallery I'm not handling and it's way different when you're handling like the pressure and I can't say that I have experienced it but I just know from competing, like, I blacked out during my my BH, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know who I was or where mm-hmm. I was. I, it was just nuts. I was so stressed. And so the pressure of just being competing, just being the handler in that moment, it's your turn, is really high. And so you don't always think super clearly. And it's so much easier in the gallery because you don't have the pressure. But I've been in the gallery a handful of times where a dog is like stuck on another side of a swamp or something. And we all stop where we are and we're trying to call this dog up, but they're stuck, they're stuck, they're stuck. And you're not sure like, should I just go forward or should I, because you can't go backwards and you can't go in. You have to stay on the course, but you can move forwards. You can keep, you can choose to kind of leave your dog behind and go forwards, but that's not always the best idea because your dog might stay back there for a really long time. But there have been times where I've moved forward and all of a sudden I had a brand new vantage point and I was like, oh, the handler needs to get up here because her voice is going to carry in a completely different way and the dog's going to find a way around. Like from here, the dog will find a way. Mm-hmm. From over there, it, they can't. Like I specifically remember this part where we came around a corner, well, just around a bend. It's not really a corner in the woods, but just around a bend and the swamp that we were trying to get this dog over, where we were standing, I moved forward, the handler stayed back. That was like the widest point 
of the swamp and where I came, it kind of like tapered a little bit and connected back up again. Like where the dog was, that piece of land connected back up again mm -hmm. with where we were going. And if the handler decided to move forward, Bauer, what are you doing? She would have been able to call her dog a lot faster, but that's just like a, a move. And you wouldn't know that unless you've been on that course before. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, I know that there's a, and like scouts can help you. So like Kyle will be my scout, Bauer. What are you doing? Kyle will be my scout and he's walked so many more braces than I have and he knows the courses. And like I, when I'm walking braces, I'm not really memorizing the course. I'm watching the dogs or I'm like looking at the ground at cool plants. Like I'm not always like, sometimes you don't even see the dogs or sometimes the dogs are doing boring shit that mm -hmm. it's not even really that fun to watch. And so you just look around. But it's a lot different when you are walking through the woods, you pay attention to where you're going a little bit more. So Kyle, no, and plus he helps, like he, he helps the clubs, he volunteers for the clubs and cuts courses. So like all the branches that fall on the court, he like cuts the way. And so he knows the courses better than I will when I start competing and the, he'll be my scout and he'll tell me like, hey, when you're about to get up here, there's a snowmobile trail up there on the right side. So make sure you have her on the left because if she hits that snowmobile trail and it's open, because they're running through woods, there's obstacles everywhere. Yeah. And all of a sudden, and they're really powerful dogs. All of a sudden they hear hit a clearing or an opening or an edge and they're just going to fucking rip because all of a sudden they have open ground. And the same speed that they were running before that only got them so far is going to get them way farther, farther now. And so... He can tell me. So in the future, he can say like, hey, there's a swamp edge on that side. Make sure you get her over here before we go over in this direction. Or hey, you're about to turn left in like 50 yards. Make sure you start making sure she's coming in a little more so she knows that you're turning. And so he can give me those pointers. He just can't handle her for me. It's like he can't tell the dog, but he can tell me. How come you, before getting Maven, didn't run easy in a field trial. He's just Kyle's dog. Mm. It's Ky it was just Kyle's thing. There were times where like Kyle maybe wouldn't be able to make it to a trial and he tossed out the idea of me handling easy and I've always just said no but just because I don't want to mess it up. Um, easy listens to me pretty well but we've never been in a context where he has to listen to me. Got it. And so I don't know if he would. So how did you know that you wanted to have your own dog and do that? Because I was watching everybody else do stuff and I was like, oh, if I was the handler, I would do this instead of that. And if I was the handler, I would do this. And I want a dog because everyone else is taking turns getting a dog out. I want a dog to get out. And to me, and I don't know. I can't say for sure how I'm going to feel when I do it, but I kind of have a feeling that I'm going to feel similarly to how I feel at the terrier trial mm -hmm. where I don't feel like I'm, well, and part of it is like, it's not really, the terrier trial is not super competitive anyways. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of just for fun. Yeah. Um, and so, and when you show up to a terrier trial with a terrier, you got a shelter the expectations are pretty low mm -hmm. and so it was more just like eh, throw your dog in eh. but that's how I keep I keep going into it because I just at this point I'm like he's gonna do something yeah. he's he's a good dog so he's gonna do something and at the end of the day if he doesn't being power yeah and 
if he doesn't, it's just because he doesn't have a lot of experience with that. Like he tracks wounded deer, but on the scent trail at the terrier trial, it's a raccoon and he doesn't have a lot of experience tracking raccoons. Nobody's training for the scent trail at the terrier trial. The dogs just do it because they they know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And they a lot of those dogs have more experience actually tracking raccoons than Bauer does. And so if Bauer doesn't place in the scent trail, it's not because Bauer is an inferior dog. He's just never had to do that before, and all these dogs do. Mm-hmm. And no one else, like, trained harder than me, and I've dropped the ball. You mm-hmm. know, it's just whatever. You just throw your dog in and see what happens. And so I kind of feel like, at least for my first two years of handling her, that's how I'll feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could be wrong. I could end up getting there and get really competitive and get really upset that it didn't go the way that I wanted it to. We'll see. But um, at this point, it's just like, I, I kind of like that it's really on the dog. And if the dog doesn't have it, the dog doesn't have it. It's not my fault, you know? Like, to a degree. Mm-hmm. It's like... So she just didn't get into birds or she just didn't, you know. And the thing is, like, especially in the first two years, people expect the dogs to do bad shit because they're literally puppies. Yeah. You know, like, like her first trial is going to be in the fall, in October, and she's going to run on a puppy steak. It'll be what it is. And so it's like you can't even, you can't be competitive in a puppy steak. You're just literally trying to get the dog experience being in the trial environment. And so that'll be my first warm-up. And then how she responds to that will be probably the... how Will probably, like, determine how I view trials moving forward. But I think I'll just really... That was really weird. Like, I wasn't fully choking, but something weird just happened to me. <laughs> something weird just happened in my mouth um, and throat. Um, that's what she said. So, yeah, I think I'll just be like, whatever. The dog is going to do what the dog is going to do. And if she doesn't do it incredibly well, she's not going to stay. Really? <laughs> so it's like, she. I'll be sad, but... It just is what it is. It's not a reflection entirely on me, especially in those first two years. Would she go back to the breeder? That's kind of what he, when he was talking to us about it, he was like, I really, because what happened was he announced that he had bred the two dogs and Kyle, and it's a really nice pairing. And Kyle commented on it and said something along the lines of like, kind of joking, like, I want to make one a grouse dog. And the reason why that's kind of funny is because these dogs are like big running dogs. Like they go really far away. Like her dad, they call him like a thousand yard dog because he's fucking gone and he hunts. He's not just fucking around. He's not running away. He's hunting uh, hundreds and hundreds of yards away. And that's just the style that this particular guy likes. Mm -hmm. Not the breeder, but the, the sire owner. And then the breeder's dog is from that same guy. So she's bred to like, she was, I think he's like her grandpa or great grandpa or something. I have to look. I think it's her grandpa. I have to look again, but heavily line bred. Not heavily, but pretty tight. Um, and so, and I've met the mom a handful of times. Like he came out, he accidentally entered a cover dog trial. He didn't know it was a cover dog trial. He just entered a trial. 
And when he got there and realized it was in the woods, he was like, well, we'll see what happens. Well, he didn't get there. He realized before he got there. You don't just, like, show up and go, oh, there's no prairies around here. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you you know, when you're driving into, like, northern Wisconsin. But, um, But either way, he was like, yeah, I'll come. I'll throw her in there. And she was gone. And Bauer, what are you looking at? Why are you just wigging out? You gotta go back to your bed. Is the goose out there or something? Oh, the sun's shining right on my shepherds. Um, that's okay, I'll move them in a bit. Come here. You probably have to shed or something. So, anyways, let's switch gears before I go on too many tangents about field trials. I'm gonna Okay, for the first time ever, we're kind of on a time crunch because we have group training starting at 6 o'clock and it is now 5.30, so I'm switching from the tangent I was on and and getting out of the tangent that people really wanted to hear about, and that was, I don't even think it was picking the right dog for the thing you want to do, but like picking the right thing for the thing you want to do. Excuse me? I think there's a bug that flew past the camel. Seriously? Yeah, it was a big bug, though. I saw it's it weird. Here. Weird. I don't... That's weird that Biggie would bark at a bug. I feel like that might have been a coincidence, because he's right next to Brew, so... And Brew barked back at him. It's right, right. So, anyways, I think the question was... Well, at least our conversation was more about... Well, you say it. You recap it. Um... Brain <laughs> broke. Um... We were talking about, because I go back and forth all the time about her second dog, what dog I want. And you asked me if I felt like I, what? Like you were looking for an identity as a dog person. Yeah. Or like if that was something that I was missing and if getting a purebred like dog intentionally was a way to figure that out. And I said, no, I am more so, like I don't wanna stick to just one thing. I'm more so interested in doing a lot of things very well. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the best way to do that is actually finding a breed that works really well with you and is meshes really well with you and the best way to yeah it. because we I don't remember how we I don't remember how I said the thing about flora but like the other day I was talking with Jess and I don't even remember what we were talking about but Jess said flora seems like a really cool dog is she not a really cool dog and I said no she is a really cool dog but she would be like a really good second dog and she's like what do you mean by that and so I elaborated and I just said like like kamikaze would have been a really cool second dog because Kazi has everything she needs to be a pretty good dog. I would like in German Shepherds, German Shepherds are a dime a dozen. So like to be really jaw dropping and exceptional as a German she- a German Shepherd is just challenging. Kamikaze is a good dog, like objectively a good dog. But I was not successful with her because I was brand new. So if I knew what I know now and I got Kamikaze, my experience with Kamikaze and the potential that I would have been able to reach and tap into with her would have been so different. And so I was saying that about Flora and you were like, but can't you learn alongside a dog? Or like, and, th- and I was just saying like, no, 
okay, I said something like, you need to find out what you want. This is before the, before when you said you want to do everything. Mm -hmm. I said, first you need to find what you want to do. And then you need to go hang out with those people and find out what kind of dogs do really well at it. And not like breed wise, but like what traits do the dogs that do well at these all have? What do people look for when they're buying their dog for this? And buy the dogs that those people dog, those people buy. Like figure out where they get their dogs and go get those dogs. And then we had a separate conversation after that in response to that, that was about the everything, wanting to do mm -hmm. everything. But that's where the flora piece came in. Because mm -hmm. that's when you said, can't you learn alongside a dog? And I said, it's just not the same because you could have a really nice dog and you're still very unlikely, it's very unlikely that you're gonna tap into that dog's full potential. It's not that it can't be done, because then you were like, well, I, see, I hear that as a challenge. And I'm like, that's good. Like you still need that motivation. But it's very unlikely that a first time handler is going to truly like reach their dog's full potential. Like what, that's part of why what Easy and Kyle did in their first two years in field trialing was so incredible because that doesn't happen. Like that doesn't happen that your first field trial dog you are highly successful with. And, but it's because he's he's been, he hasn't, like he didn't go to field trials, but he was like obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. And so he knew what he wanted and he got exactly what he wanted. And then he had been, like he had been preparing for that moment for years. And so as soon as he had a dog, and then he also just naturally is really good at handling dogs. And he hunts, that's the other thing, like he hunts so he knows how to, he knows how to use a dog like that. And so, and he's hunted behind Cash for many years and he's hunted behind his parents' dog Oscar. So like he knows how to handle a dog around hunting grounds. Mm -hmm. So like he has all the pieces, he's just never actually done it before. So he is a first time field trialer, but he is also kind of not. Like he's a first time field trialer, but he has all the pieces, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But that's like, that's why it's so impressive that Easy and Kyle blew it out of the water their first two years, because it doesn't happen. You almost always ruin your first dog. And so it's better to find the thing and it could be a multitude of things, but like in that case, I think if you're somebody that you want to do a little of everything, then you have to find a person that thinks that way and does well that way. Like find a person, befriend the people who do all the stuff. And there's people out there that are like that. They're just dabblers. Mm -hmm. And they might even be like really successful in their dabbling, but they're just dabblers. They do a little of everything and they still title and they whatever. Um, but I do think on one note though, I don't think you'll ever get incredibly exceptionally good at anything trying everything and so like you have to have something that you're obsessed with in order to get really good at it I think so you can be like pretty good at lots of different things and have a dog that people are like wow that dog can do a lot of different things and he has all this like alphabet soup behind its name mm -hmm. but I don't know that you can ever really fully hit all the highest levels and all those things you just don't have enough time in, in your life and mm -hmm. a lot of stuff contradicts itself or contradicts each other like sport wise mm -hmm. like scent work and the, like the the type of things that you need to build into a dog to do really well with scent work 
is very different than the types of things that you would build into a dog to do really, really well at high levels of obedience or like agility or something where you need to be really connected to the dog. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, you're building a ton of independence and get away from me and go work and be super disciplined to your own mind and the, like focus on the actual task. And the other one is like, you need to be glued to me and paying attention to me and disciplined to me. Mm-hmm. And they hurt each other. So it's like, it's hard to do really well at, at different things like that. But you could do pretty good at those things, you know? So, but there's people out there that, that, that do that, that like that, that they just, you know, throw their hat in any ring. And so you got to go find those people and figure out what do they like in their dogs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times those people just have random ass dogs, but there's certain breeds that just do particularly well at being able to be more versatile in sports. Um, but I think in general, the order that it should be done, and this is why when we were talking about Schutzen, where I put like a little asterisk on the like, I didn't have a club when I got my puppy. Had I had a club and I had gone and I had volunteered and I had observed and overheard all the conversations and I was fully prepared, it would have been a completely different experience getting kamikaze and like hitting the ground running versus getting her and being like, okay, now what? oh, I saw this video of somebody doing this particular thing and then you fuck around with that and then you go and you fuck around with something that like totally negates everything you just did mm-hmm. and you just confuse the hell out of the dog and, and confuse the hell out of yourself and then you go to a professional trainer two years later and then you're like, help me. <laughs> like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Um, I've just been winging it and I've been like building bad habits for the last two years because nobody told me like this is how you introduce your dog to healing. Mm-hmm. Like this is the first baby step sit you know and so I didn't have like I wouldn't have had to clean anything up if I would have known that right away so I think it's most important if you want to be extremely well at something that you go without a dog and you observe for a while and then you listen to everything they have to say and when they tell you to get a dog that does this this and this go get that dog I think I want to list the possibilities you know because I feel like all of the things I know that are available to me of things that I could do with my dog are cool to me, but they're not cool enough that I'm willing to sacrifice everything else and just do that thing. That's why I think you just have to go to everything. Like you don't need a dog to do everything, but like just go, like just go to trials, like show up to an AKC obedience trial and just like somebody that you know is going to be there and just be like, can I come and see what it's like? And just like feel it out. And if it doesn't excite you, cross it off the list. But like you have to narrow it down a little bit. And I think you have to like, I think you do have to get a dog for a purpose. And then the rest is extra. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I think everybody that I know that's like a, a really successful dabbler, their dogs that they do stuff with started off as a dog for a specific thing. Then there's people that have like Amanda with Bear. The, like, Wish German Shepherd. <laughs> she started dabbling just because she had a mutt. Yeah. And so she just did a little bit of everything. And she ended up really liking obedience. She just really enjoys rally. She really enjoys AKC. She's been able to be successful with a dog that it's, like, pulling teeth to get him to do anything. And so if she can stick with it with that dog, then she clearly loves it. And so now she's looking at getting another like a real German Shepherd, because he's actually a mix. He just happens to look like a wish German Shepherd. Mm -hmm. 
But now she's actually getting a German Shepherd to do AKC obedience. But she'll also be able to do literally anything she wants to do because it's a German Shepherd. And so, and I know a lot of people that got German Shepherds to do protection sports and do protection sports. But like, uh, Jess has competed with Norma in DISC. Mm-hmm. And she went to an AKC obedience trial. <laughs> so like, you get the dog for a purpose and then you're like, we could also do this. We could also do that. And you just try shit that way, but you still got the dog to do the one thing that you like the most. Mm-hmm. And so, and finding the thing that you like the most just also takes a really long time. Like, I didn't decide I wanted to do Schutzen until I was like, I don't even know now, three, four years into being mm-hmm. a dog person. And maybe not two two because Finn was alive and I only had Finn for two years so two three by the time I got kamikaze Mm -hmm. and now I have a field trial dog yep you know like I've I've changed my mind a few times and it just takes a long time to figure out who you are but you can't figure that out like I said to you like you can't figure it out from the internet like, you can't just hear other people say it. You have to go. You have to go and you have to be there. And you have to, like, hang out with the people and see what the people are like. And do you like the environment that you're in? And that's, like, that's what I love about field trials the most. Obviously, I love dog work. But I just like hanging out with that particular brand of person. I just like the way they talk about dogs. And I like looking at the dogs. And I like watching the way they handle the dogs. I just like the people. I like being there. I don't, like, I want a dog because I want to play with them. You know, like, <laughs> we'll I want to play with my friends. I want to play your game. See, and right now I just feel like the, like the little kid. I was going to say like the little sister, and then that's kind of weird. Yeah. Because I'm also dating. I'm also marrying my yeah. older brother then. Yeah. And Which that, is cute for you. Yeah. But it's like, but it, like the analogy still kind of stands of like, I'm the little sister, like, following around the big brother and he's going and play like playing at the park with his friends and playing basketball and stuff and I'm just there yeah it's like I don't I don't want to just be here I want to play so what do you do if like I really think that I would love search and rescue yeah but if I hate the people who are around yeah because they're all cops or cop adjacent you know then yeah then you just have to find a search and rescue adjacent type thing like you have to think about like what are the the core pieces of what makes search and rescue what it is that you're you're interested in and is there something similar to that that's not going to be cop adjacent finding dead bodies (laughs) for fun (laughs) just just go wander around like on riverbanks and stuff (laughs) just see if you can find any lost yeah, no, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, if it feels, like, if, if search and rescue, if the big thing from search and rescue is feeling like you have, like, purpose, like you're helping society, I think there's a lot of other things that can be done. I don't know exactly what that, those options are, but, like, there's a lot of different things that dogs can do. I think something around, like, conservation work, Yeah, you know, could be good as well. Yeah. Again, I just wish there was a list. And I have tried Googling, like, weird things. Because I think I also kind of want it to be weird. 
And but like, see, the more people you meet, though, the more you're going to get connected with people that do weird shit. Yeah. So, like, like you wouldn't have known that game recovery was even a thing if you hadn't met me. Right. Was that a baby? Do you have a baby hidden in here? It's not like it's coming from outside. There's see, no if I had a search there. and rescue dog, I could figure it out. It also maybe kind of sounded like a cat. Yeah. Or a ghost baby. What was that? My heart is racing. Look at that one. <laughs> it tells there's something in here. It's my puppy. <laughs> we have to keep going on this um if she gets too crazy i'll get her but it's just a lot to have to manage her when bauer is out yeah or to manage bauer when i take her out he's not mean to her but he's not used to puppy like i've never had him like acclimate to a baby puppy in the house mm -hmm. and i just think he would probably be mean to her and like he outside he's very he ignores but he's very particular about how dogs act in his house he is really territorial and so, like, he'll mi he micromanages dogs in the house. And I don't want him to scare the puppy. Um, so, yeah, I think you just have to, like, first of all, you just have to go to stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, like, if you go to scent work stuff, you're going to find people that might know about other weird scent work things. Yeah. So, you just got to... Like, bed bug detection. Yeah, but that's, like... Some of the stuff that you want to do, like, is so obscure that it just doesn't make sense. See, okay, you can't tell me to go to things and try things and then crush my dreams. I'm not crushing your dreams, though. I'm just saying, like, logistically, it's not, like, a thing that you can just do. Like, you have to get hired by, like, a company. Like, you have to be employed. I could start my own. Or I could do it for just friends and family. How many friends and family do you have that have bed bugs? It's going to be like once every six years. Okay, think about this. Your wedding, people are going to come and maybe get a hotel room. They're not going to pay someone to text. It would be pro bono. How <laughs> nice would it be? <laughs> You're not going to find bed bugs. Wouldn't it be nice to offer it to your loved ones, a free service to just confirm that there aren't bed bugs in their hotel rooms? I'm sure the, the hotel would be really upset by that, actually. And they, they probably don't even allow dogs. If it's a working canine. Not for bed bug detection. <laughs> Those dogs don't get any special treatment. There's just certain things that like, like for example, I had a job listing for uh, doing detection work where the dogs sniff out bats that get killed by windmills. Yeah. And they study them. And I was like, wow, that'd be a cool gig for Bauer. That like, I think that would go really well for him. But they wanted me to move down to Marshall, Minnesota for like six months out of the year. And I was like, well, I have a life. I have a boyfriend and other dogs 
and a job, like a other job that I don't want it, like a career that I don't want to just abandon. I just thought it would be like a cool thing, like a day job. See, I have none of those things. So right. That would be but really that, good for me. Right. That would work. But like, <laughs> there's like, there's just like, or, um, I got another one to be a canine handler, to be a narc mm. at like an airport, not an airport. That's too serious at like sports events, I think. Okay. And I was like, that's kind of cool. They give you a dog though. Like that'd be kind of like you get to live with the dog that they provide for you. And I was like, I'm going to at least look into it. Yeah. And they wanted me to move to Chicago. I was like on the phone with her and she's like, cool. So this is for Chicago. And I was like, <laughs> literally what I looked at said you had availability or like you had openings in Minneapolis. And I was just trying to like scoot on over for mm -hmm. a couple of hours and just like post up with the yeah. dog. I wasn't really trying to like make this my whole entire life. Oh, and then you had to go to like South Carolina for training for eight weeks. And I was like, I can't just dip out on my life for eight There's weeks. There's no way it really takes eight weeks. It's gotta be like dog sits, bomb. Well, if the dog I think already the knows. thing is, the thing is with stuff like that and like same on, same goes for like search and rescue or cause there was this one, there's this one guy that tracks uh, does game recovery in Minnesota and he's just kind of an airhead and he was talking about how he wanted to get into explosive detection yeah, and cadaver dog stuff and I was like you can't just like be some Joe Schmo off the road like finding a dead body because that's literally a crime scene yeah like you can't there and they already like Whoever you pin the crime on, their legal team is already looking for plenty of opportunities to prove that you fuck something up. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to just let anybody in mm -hmm. and be like, my dog found a dead body. They're going to be like, your dog um, false indicated on whatever, whatever, and said it was my client. Your dog said it was my client. Your and dog it's not. killed them. Right. Actually, I think you killed them, and then your dog found it, and you planted evidence and your dog pointed at my client. But like they're already looking for reasons and they'll discredit the dog and they do it on drug charges all the time too, that mm -hmm. the dog was like a false whatever. I don't know the ins and outs. I've never been accused of a drug crime. Um, yeah, yet. I did spend a whole evening once thinking about how I could train Flora to detect guns, like guns that have been recently fired. Oh. And it would involve like using a spoon and some gunpowder and kind of lighting it a little bit mm. to use the aroma. <laughs> Seems really smart. I need to go to bed. <laughs> you could also probably just use like a blank pistol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's, that's the exact same thing just with no projectile. <laughs> like heroin spooning it. Is that Emily in her loud car? Um, it's a car. Is it greenish? It is greenish. Cool. All right, let's wrap this up. Okay, bye. Bye.